Amen. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Let's bow together. Father, again, we come before You and we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the time You've given us to praise You and to exalt You, to lift up Your Son Jesus, to praise His name, to exalt Christ. And uh, Father, I pray as we look into Your Word, You would help us understand exactly what You intended and that You would enable us to reply as You desire so that You would be greatly magnified. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may have heard the saying, uh, ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> you know, we hear that saying. Um, uh, but one of the realities is, for a non-believer, they might think that ignorance is bliss, but often those things they're not thinking about or ignoring end up coming around to, to get them. Uh, they may be blissfully unaware of something, but uh, that's not going to bring peace. That's not going to bring encouragement. And those of us believers, we might think at times um, ignorance is bliss, but certainly not. Uh, the reality is when a believer is ignorant of the truth of God, there's going to be a lack of peace. There's going to be a lack of encouragement. There's going to be a lack in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ignorance is not bliss, especially for believers. And we're going to see today that the Lord wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our, of our, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow uh, so that we would be encouraged in our walk, that we would understand we have everything we need for life and guidance through the true knowledge of Him. We have His precious and magnificent promises. But how is it that we grow? Well, we see in Scripture that God has brought forth those who have differing gifts. And there are those gifts that are gifts that build us up. We see in Ephesians chapter 4 that there were initially apostles and prophets, uh, the foundation laid of the Word of God. And then evangelists, those who share the gospel, bring people into the kingdom. And then there are pastors and teachers. There are those who build up uh, the body of Christ. Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's verse 28, that God has given in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, and that we are to be taught the Word of God. You see, ministry is about being becoming more like Jesus Christ through being taught, instructed, and maturing uh, from the Word of God. And so then we're going to see today what real ministry looks like from the Word of God. And we're going to continue our look at that, and we're going to see that genuine ministry involves a struggle on behalf of those bringing forth the Word for those to hear it, receive it, and become more like Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3, and we'll uh, just barely hit the end of 3, and we'll do more of that later on um, as we come to our next passage. So when we get to Christ being all the treasures of wisdom, don't worry, we're going to hit that more next time also. Now, we've been studying the book of Colossians, and the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome at about 62 AD. And uh, he has never, although he's never visited, he has heard from uh, the Colossian spiritual father, the Epaphras, uh, that they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they had love for one another. 
but yet he has also informed him uh, of the threats to their faith. Uh, there were simply put, there were those trying to delude them with persuasive arguments. There were those attempting to give them solutions to uh, sanctification apart from the person of Jesus Christ, or at least tagging his name along it. And Paul would say in the end of chapter 2, which we're going to get to, not today, we'll get to, that these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You see, when we are ignorant of God's truth, then we are vulnerable to the world's wisdom and ways packaged as God's wisdom. We're vulnerable to that, and it only leads to uh, uh, that which is discouraging and empty and not good, as we'll say. So, so he has uh, shared that, that false teachers are attempting to delude them with persuasive arguments. And so his solution to this is to share a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it, Christ is the answer, a truly Christ-centered relationship. And we've seen in this book, obviously, after sharing uh, his thankfulness for their changed lives, for their faith in Jesus and their love for the saints, uh, based on this hope laid up for them in heaven, uh, revealed in the gospel of grace, uh, the gospel of the grace of God and truth. And Paul then prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. They would be filled to the brim with God's word, understanding his will, filled, controlled by it. And then he gave an accurate picture of who Jesus is. He is, first of all, uh, the creator. He is the supreme Lord of all the first creation. He is God the Son, the creator. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, he is also the supreme Lord of the new creation. He is the head of the body. That's the church. He is preeminent. He is fully God and fully man and came to die for us in order to reconcile us that he might present us holy and blameless beyond reproach. And then the Apostle Paul continued to focus on uh, the person of Christ, this tremendous, sufficient Savior who died for us. And then at that point, he begins to lay forth in the end, or middle to the end of chapter 1, his credentials in a sense, his ministry credentials, because they're going to be in contrast, as we'll see next week, to the false teachers. And so Paul begins to share that. And we saw in this that in chapter 1 concerning authentic ministry, that authentic ministry has authentic men <laughs> ministering. Paul was a suffering servant of Christ on behalf of the church. He was a good steward of the word of God. Then we saw authentic ministry preaches God's message. Christ proclaimed from the word, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we saw that authentic ministry uses God's method. Christ proclaimed by his power to present every man complete in Christ. And now today I believe we'll see that authentic ministry involves struggle. It involves struggle on behalf of those who the word is being brought forth to. Struggle, as we'll see, not so much today, but next time, struggle to protect them from the threats uh, out there. So with that in mind, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to back up and we'll start in verse 20 of chapter 1. And I'm going to read one verse past our passage also to get the context. Okay, uh, Colossians 1.28, and we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, 
which mightily works within me. Now we come to our passage, which begins with a four. So it's connected to what we've seen, just read. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not personally seen my face. That would include us too, wouldn't it? Huh? <laughs> um, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. That's a lot there, and it's good, by the way. Uh, In whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And notice, I'm going to read verse 4, you know, not not look at it today, but notice how it's connected. I say this in order that no one may delude you with with persuasive argument. Okay? So we see... Ultimately, we're going to see that he's sharing these truths concerning how, what, how God builds us up to protect us also, not only that we'd be presented complete, but to protect us from those who would try to delude us. Okay, so as we look at these verses, I believe we're going to see, uh, first of all, that faithful servants struggle for his body. And they struggle for a couple of reasons. We'll see them, one, that we might be encouraged, and second, that we might possess the wealth of the full assurance of his truth, as we'll see, and the knowledge of Christ. Notice, first of all, Paul's struggle was not for the world. You know, we got a lot of pastors who are struggling for the world. Maybe they're evangelists. Go out and evangelize, but don't, don't call it ministry. Don't bring the world into church. Go out into the world, share Christ. We have a lot of pastors who are ministering to the world. Their struggle is to the world. Well, Paul struggles not to the world, but for the body of Christ. He says in verse 1, for I, chapter 2, Colossians, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. That's the Colossians specifically. Those are believers, saints in Colossia, right? And for those at, who are at Laodicea, and those we know there's three towns. There's Heropolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. They're all in the Lycus River Valley, okay? All around one another. And he says here, and for all who have not personally seen my face, I want you to know how great my struggle is. He says, for, I want you to know. Now, this term struggle comes from the word agon or agona. We get our word agony. You think about it, when you're struggling, it's, it's agonizing at times, right? It's often used in the context of a strenuous athletic contest, okay? So Paul is struggling, and what is this struggle? Not struggling in a bad way, but struggling in a good way, as we'll say. But what is this struggle? Most commentators would say Paul is struggling in prayer uh, because that's all he could do because he was in chains. That's what they would say. And certainly that's true. Indeed, uh, in chapter 4, Paul speaks of Epaphras talking about him laboring earnestly in his prayers for you. Colossians 4.12, actually let's read this. A paraphrase, one of, who's one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly, a gizotomai, for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Certainly the foundation of sharing God's truth and God building us up is praying, right? And certainly here a paraphrase was, and certainly Paul was. But I think the immediate context gives us a fuller answer than prayer. I think it gives us a bigger answer than just Paul struggling for them in prayer. Notice our verse begins with the term for. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. 
Now, when I talk to you, I don't just come up to you and say, for I have a great struggle. You know, <laughs> and I got to say something before that. There's, I'm explaining something. They're connected. And so he's just talked about how we proclaim him, admonishing every man in, 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 with all wisdom and teaching every man with all wisdom that we represent every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I also labor, striving, that's the word, struggle, against him I, uh, on your behalf, or excuse me, uh, get that again, uh, according to his power, which mightily works within me. He's saying, we proclaim Christ and we struggle at it. And he says, I want you to know how much a struggle I have for you in that context. So yes, I believe he's praying, but I believe it also has to do with the proclamation of Christ. Certainly in this letter, certainly, uh, as Paul would share. Otherwise, uh, he wouldn't have the floor there. He wouldn't have connected it. He wouldn't have connected it. So then, Paul struggles proclaiming Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man that he may present every man complete in Christ. And certainly that involves prayer. But who is he struggling for? In the larger context, it's for the body of Christ, for every man. In the immediate context, it is for the Lycos River Valley, Colossae, Laodicea, Heropolis, on all those who have not personally seen his face. Threats were looming, as we'll see. And indeed, 30 years from this time, it appears that one of these cities kind of went bad. One of the churches kind of went bad. They, they got sucked into the false teaching and they became self-sufficient rather than Christ-sufficient. Indeed, in Revelation 30, some 30, Revelation 3, 15, some 30 years later, let's take a look at that. The Lord Jesus is going to talk about the church at Laodicea. The Apostle John sharing this some 30 years later. He says in Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That means to vomit, by the way. Uh, but because you say, here's the problem, I am rich and I become wealthy. I have need of nothing Yet you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They were self-sufficient. Now, apparently, this generation here that we're speaking of were self-sufficient in that they didn't trust Christ. They were sufficient in their own wealth and their own abilities. The absolute opposite of a characteristic of one who follows Christ. We are Christ-sufficient. We need him completely. You see? So the bad guys were coming around, and evidently this church kind of fell. Kind of fell. He said, Behold, I'm at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and he will and will dine with him and he with me. Hey, listen up. So then faithful servants struggle for the body of Christ. Not struggle for the world. They struggled that God's people would be built up and made like Jesus Christ. <laughs> You know, so many days, so, so sad these days, there's so much inauthentic ministry. You know, I saw this in seminary, uh, packaged sermons from the internet, pre-planned stories that are copied. You know, I hear pastor time and they're, they're telling a story someone else told. It's a lie from my perspective, by the way. They're telling it as if they experienced it. That's a problem. Uh, rather than showing themselves approved as faithful workmen ex expositing the word of God, handling it accurately. 
If you're a pastor and you have a teaching gift, it is hard work. It is labor. It is a struggle. Indeed, Paul would tell uh, those elders, tell, the, the, tell Timothy that those elders um, who, 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 who um, ruled well, especially those who worked hard at preaching and teaching, who agonized, labored, preaching and teaching, were worthy of a double honor. That's pay in that context. 1 Timothy 5.17. So I ask you, what are your struggles about? Are they about the work of the church and the work of God and the work of uh, him and other people's lives around you? Are your struggles about his things or are they just about your little life or my little life? What are your struggles about? Yes, we do struggle in life. We do have issues. Don't, don't get me wrong. But our main struggle should be in the context of serving Christ because that's the main thing we're doing in our lives. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's in the body of Christ. So then, at this point, uh, I want to now take a look. As this passage is kind of complex. I want to point out the structure of the passage. Paul is, is, is struggling for the body of Christ. But I want to point out the structure because it can be kind of complex here. Again, we have verses 28 and 29 of chapter 1. And then our passage starts with the word for. He's explaining. Uh, he's striving to present every man completing Christ for. And he's saying, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. You're part of that. You're part of that. And then he says here, verse 2 begins with the term that. Notice that, Colossians 2, 2. It comes from the Greek conjunction henna, which means that or in order that. And you don't need to memorize this, but when there is a henna with a subjunctive mood verb, it means purpose. That you might. It's not just saying it's not going to, it may or may not happen. So it's saying this is the purpose. So here we have a purpose or goal. First of all, I'm struggling on your behalf that you might, first of all, notice it, that your hearts might be encouraged. Encouraged. That's the first purpose for his striving, is that their hearts would be encouraged. We're going to see that, yes, he wants to present a man complete, but where the rubber meets the road, there's encouragement and a confidence in Christ. We're going to see that, where the rubber meets the road in real time. And also notice in our text, this little phrase after that portion, having been knit together in love. And then we have the phrase, and we'll talk about that a little later, okay? Hold that in mind. And then we have the phrase, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. That's the second purpose. That you may be encouraged and unto this attaining of this wealth, okay? That's really the grammar. There's two things he is saying, I'm struggling for you in order that. Encouragement and then attaining this wealth of this confident knowledge in the context of, of the full knowledge of Christ. Okay? We're going to see that. Now you might say, well, wasn't one of the purposes being knit together in love? I've read through this all the time and I think he's struggling so they'll be knit together in love. And yes, we, we, we recognize that God's word does make us more like Christ. It causes us to love one another more and more. It knits our hearts together. There's no doubt about that. But here, notice this is quite interesting. He says, having been knit together in love. And the, the actual um, uh, subject of that is that their hearts... Literally in Greek, there's different uh, 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 cases, and so it points right to the subject. Their hearts, 
having been knit together in love. Now, that having been knit together in love is in an aorist tense. What does that mean? It's a completed action. He's talking about the group that he wants to be encouraged. He's talking about the group that he wants to have supreme confidence in the truth of God and in their relationship with Jesus. He's saying this group, he's giving a qualification, literally having been united together in love. The term knit together is an interesting word. It speaks of being united it actually was translated almost every time in the Old Testament Greek translation, instruct, which is weird. It's translated instruct in 1 Corinthians 2 in the end, who has known the mind of Christ that he should instruct him. What that means, they're really saying by that time, when two things come together, it's like I've been instructed. I get it. You know what I'm saying? But in our passage, it literally means a union, or you could say a knitting together. You know, when you unite the threads together, they're knit together, Right? And he's saying, having been bonded, united in love. I believe this is the prerequisite to obtaining uh, what comes through the word. That we have already been knit together in love. New King James says, being united in love. Again, the original Greek, having been united in love. That your hearts might be encouraged, having been united in love. Having been united in love. Indeed, the Apostle Paul shared earlier, and I mentioned it, that they, he was so thankful for their faith in Jesus Christ and the love they had for the saints. They already had a love. Uh, he was also had been informed, verse 8, chapter 1, by a practice of their love in the Spirit. You know, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we receive his Spirit, and one of the first fruits of that is love. We have no need, Paul would tell the Thessalonians, for anyone to teach us about love of the brethren, for indeed we're taught by God to love. And so like I see the fellowship that we're having this morning, I see the love that we have, I see it's natural in the body of Christ. He's saying, you all, having been knit together, having been knit together, I pray your hearts will be encouraged, or, I, or I, I, it's that your heart, not I pray that your hearts might be encouraged. That's the group. It's believers who love one another. It's believers who are knit together. It's believers. Okay, so our hearts should already have been knit together. Yes, does the word continue to do that? You bet it does. But it should already be there. It should already be there. Okay, so now let's take a look at those specific goals that Paul mentions. He says in verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf, and then those in Laodicea and we're at Laodicea, and for those who have not personally seen my face, excuse me for a second. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Now again, that's, as we'll see, the specific goal. That's the specific goal, their hearts may be encouraged. But this rests upon another goal, which I've already shared. Chapter 1, verse 28, and we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's the main goal. But we're going to see in our passage, what does that look like with skin on? And how does that affect us? How does it affect us when we're complete in Christ? You could say it kind of in a sterile sense, complete in Christ, right? But there is a reality to it. What does that mean? I think he's going to explain it. If I struggle for, I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain to you what that looks like to you personally. And first of all, he talks about this idea of being encouraged. Their hearts 
being encouraged. Think about that. I just like that. I, I hope you like that. I want to be encouraged. You know, this life can be discouraging in times. Following the Lord and the difficulties of following can be discouraging at times. It can be discouraging seeing the people you love and where they're at with Jesus or whatever it might be. It can be discouraging seeing all the sin around you and even our own failures. But he says he agonizes, first of all, in order that, purpose clause, their hearts may be encouraged. Now, the term heart in Scripture is often used synonymously with your mind, the inner man. Uh, your heart is what you think, right? It's, it's your inner man. It's who you are. It's who you are. So Paul wants them to know how great a struggle he has in the context of bring forth the Word of God to mature them, first of all, that their hearts would be encouraged. The term encouraged here, parakaleo, uh, kaleo to call, para alongside. Think about the word parallel. It's alongside, right? It's a broad word. It's translated call, exhort, beg, entreat, encourage, comfort, help. Uh, the Spirit of God is called the helper, the paraclete. It comes alongside to help and comfort and encourage. The comforter, same thing, paraclete. It has the idea, I believe in our text, of encouraging and in that being strengthened. Being strengthened. You see, he wants to build them up in Christ that they would be encouraged. They'd be encouraged. They'd be strengthened. They'd be strengthened. He wants to build them up in Christ through the word of God, proclaiming him, admonishing every man, teaching him that they would be encouraged, that their hearts would be encouraged. You see, I began talking about ignorance being bliss. It's not bliss when you're a believer. It's not bliss to not know the Word of God. It's not bliss to be not built up. It's very discouraging. But it's very encouraging when you are being built up in the Word of God, becoming more and more like Jesus. So often we look for encouragement, but we see here one of the goals of being mature is being encouraged. You see, because when we know Jesus rightly and we understand his word rightly, it's encouraging no matter what's happening. Yes, there is sorrow. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. There's sin around him and there's sin around us, even our own failures. But it is encouraging, as we'll see in a moment, to stand confidently on the truth, to believe what Jesus has said and to trust in him completely. It's encouraging. And Paul says, I strive that you'd be encouraged. I want to bring forth the word of God, preaching him, proclaiming him, that you would be built up and here encouraged. You want to encourage somebody? Share the word of God with them in the right context, not in the wrong context. We can slap them around with the Bible. We need to have the spirit of God behind what we say as we depend upon the Lord. Lord, how might I encourage this brother or sister? Right. And here, as we are being built up through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, we should be encouraged. If you're in a biblical church, you should be encouraged. You should walk out after hearing the Word of God and go, yeah, right? You should be encouraged. You should be encouraged in your walk with Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. Sadly, there are so many bad ministries out there who will take those who are discouraged and take advantage of them because they're not built up. They're not put up. They're, they're, they're ready to be deluded by a persuasive argument. 
Notice he says in verse 4, I say this, and this is part of what he says. I'm teaching you so that you'll be encouraged. He says here, I say this in order that no one delude you with persuasive argument. God's word encourages you. Being built up in him encourages you. Christ encourages you. So then the first purpose here we see is that their hearts may be encouraged. That's one of the purposes of God building us up. We'd be encouraged. We'd be encouraged. And we should be encouraged. We should be in the Word of God and you should be encouraged when you're built up in it. It should be encouraging to you. It should be encouraging to you. It certainly is discouraging. You ever go to church and you got the the 15 minute song and dance with one verse, it's not even applied rightly, you just walk out going, ugh. But when you hear God's word and it's applied to your heart rightly by the Spirit of God, then it's encouraging. It's even encouraging when we're convicted. Yes, Lord, I blew it, but oh, you're so good, you've forgiven me. And he's corrects us and trains us in righteousness. Okay, so first of all, if you need your heart encouraged, allow God through his truly gifted those to share his word to bring about the truth that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of jesus and be encouraged at a heart level he says i struggle context proclaiming christ that you'd be encouraged pastors and teachers that's what you ought to be doing struggling to proclaim the word of god that god's flock would be encouraged not discouraged and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but encouraged uh, at the heart level as they grow closer to Jesus. And then notice the second goal. This is an amazing one here, by the way. This is really awesome, by the way. Uh, and when I come to these passages, I go, oh, Lord, I mean, it's impossible for me to teach this. You've got to do it through me, as I do all the time. Lord, you've got to do it. He says, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged Having been knit together in love, that's already happened. You're, you're, you're true believers. You've been knit together. That's the reality of who you are. Okay. He says, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. Now, um, this is kind of difficult to interpret this verse. So hang in or I'm going to explain some of the difficulties and hopefully it'll make sense and we're done. You might notice the term attaining is in italics. That means the translators have placed it there to help aid the translation. I think it's good. It's good. And our verse literally reads, and to all the full assurance of understanding. So I am struggling in order that you might be encouraged and unto the purpose of obtaining the full confidence of assurance. Okay, as we'll see. That's the second part. The and tells us this is the second purpose. And to the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Indeed, in Greek, in ice, E-I-S, and you don't need to know that, what the accused is, speaks of a direction. And unto this reality. Simply put, this part of the goal of the proclamation of Christ through the word is unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. You say, what does that mean? Paul struggles intensely on behalf of these believers, proclaiming Christ to present them complete so that their hearts may be encouraged, have been knit together in love, unto the second goal of all wealth or riches of the full assurance of understanding. It's going to be explained even farther from that, by the way, but let's stake right here for a second. 
Now notice, he says he's speaking of such grand wealth or riches, okay? He's talking about riches and wealth. Well, what is it that has such great value? Clearly here, in context, it is the full assurance of understanding. It's great value. It's, it's full riches. It's, 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 uh, it's valuable. The term full assurance speaks of firm conviction, full confidence, complete certainty. Complete certainty. There is a wealth of value in being completely certain about what God has said and who he is. There is a wealth of value in that. And that's maturity in Christ, as we'll say. There is a wealth in believing exactly what he says and trusting him. There's a wealth in that. It is very valuable. So we proclaim him and Mashiach present everywhere complete that you might be encouraged, your hearts, and that you might attain the, all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. It's quite an amazing statement. This term understanding, sunesis, speaks of a, literally ascending together. It speaks of a union. It, it originally thought of, spoke of two rivers coming together and uniting. I get it. I understand. And there's a great wealth in that when you have a full confidence in your understanding. You might remember in chapter 1, verse 9, uh, Paul mentioned that uh, they might be filled in his prayer with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with the knowledge of his will. And here, there is a wealth in having a complete confidence in it. That's maturity, by the way. When you're confident and you step and you and you and you act upon it, as we'll say, filled with the knowledge of His will and understanding, and then here we see the great value or riches. It's like it's like a, a gold mine with the top off. It's right there. Go grab the gold. Go grab the diamonds. As we are built up in Christ, we are enriched. We are enriched. I read Proverbs chapter 2 earlier. It talks about, and we'll see it later, the value of God's word. The value of his word. But there's a great value not in the word itself alone, but in being fully confident about it. You see? The word of God is incredibly valuable, and, and the Lord wants us to have a certainty of understanding. A certainty. And that is incredibly valuable. You see, the Spirit enables us to trust Him. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. It is incredibly valuable when you have the certainty that He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's incredibly valuable when you know He's preparing a place for you in heaven. It's incredibly valuable when you know He's coming to get you and He's bringing uh, your loved ones who fell asleep in Jesus. It's incredibly valuable when you know uh, he will guard your heart and mind for sure when you pray rather than worry and you, you do so thankfully in a humble manner, giving your request to God. It's incredibly valuable. I could go on for hours with all the promises, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Brothers and sisters, it's incredibly valuable when you believe what God says with certainty. I proclaim these things to you that you would have this certainty. I'm proclaiming Christ to you, admonishing and teaching that, and I struggle doing it, that you would have the certainty 
of understanding. Isn't that great? So pastors, you should be striving for this. Be striving that your flocks that God has put under your care, under the great shepherd, have a certainty of understanding the truth of God. Think of this on a practical level. When you're driving and you're not sure where you're going, it's not a very peaceful situation. When you are certain where you're going, there is peace. Think about it at your work. When you're doing something you're told to do and you're not certain how to do it, it's, it's not peaceful at all. But when you are certain, you know exactly what to do, there's a peace in that. Well, the same thing with the truth of God. And how much more valuable it is. It's a great wealth to have certainty in understanding of God's truth. And that certainty is exhibited in faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or certainty of things unseen. So often we're not certain at all. We're not being built. We kind of waffle on it. Or we are forgetful or we are ignorant, by the way. Ignorance is not bliss. Either it's forgetfulness concerning the Word of God. Sadly, so many churches to their shame do not fully proclaim the Word, do not fully proclaim Christ. And so many Christians are not settled in their minds. They are not assured in the truth of God, and as we'll see, the God of the truth. And thus they are easily tossed to and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, Ephesians 4.14, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. They're bad guys out there, and women too, by the way. So my question is, are you enjoying the great value or riches or wealth, which is the complete certainty of understanding? That's that's That helps us see what maturity is like. Mature believers are certain in the truth, and they apply that certainty, as we'll see, to the relationship with Christ. They believe what God says, they know it's true, and they stand on it by faith. By faith. To all the wealth that comes from a full assurance of understanding. Brothers and sisters, do you possess the absolute riches of a great confidence in your understanding of Him and His promises through the Word? That's part of the goal of being presented complete as Christ has proclaimed. That's part of the goal. That you would be and have and possess this certainty. This certainty. But notice, part of that goal continues of this understanding. Notice our passage. I'm going to read it again. That their hearts may be encouraged. First thing, Paul struggles to share Christ and His Word. Having been knit together in love, that's the foundation. And to the attaining of all the wealth which comes to the full assurance of understanding, that's that certainty of understanding. And then he adds to it. Now they've given another uh, italics word, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. That's a good translation there. It's a perfect translation. Literally says, unto a true knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. This certainty of understanding is unto something. A relational, full knowledge, epinosis of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the context of not just, I know the Bible, it's I know Jesus. And I believe His Word, and I'm confident that what He says, He will do. And that is a great treasure. He says here, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself. The full assurance of understanding leads to a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. We live in a mysterious time. 
in which the time mystery has been revealed to us. You might remember this word mystery in Scripture, mysterion, uh, spoke of something previously not revealed. It wasn't mysterious. It was just not revealed. And now it has been revealed to us in an incredible reality of what we have at our disposal in our conscious relationship with Christ. is amazing because we have Christ. He says here this leads to a true knowledge, epinosis, a full intensified true knowledge, relationally speaking, of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. It's in the full knowledge of the personal work of Christ revealed and proclaimed in the word that we are settled in our understanding, which leads to a full knowledge of God's mystery. Now, why does he say God's mystery here? Why does he say that? Christ himself. Because uh, what has now been revealed is so important. What is now true of us is so important. Remember, we saw chapter 1, verse 26. And actually, let's go back to 25. Of this church, Paul said, I was made a servant or minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your behalf that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That's what builds us up, right? That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been manifest to his saints. He's going to talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. It was not revealed before that God would take up residence in his people like we have here. Christ, by his spirit, would be in our hearts. Tremendous. Tremendous. This truth was previously hidden. Now we have the glorious riches of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul is struggling to share the word of God concerning Christ, to proclaim it, to present us complete in Christ, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together, that they might attain the, the riches that comes from a full confidence of understanding that points to and results in a true knowledge of God's mystery. And then notice it says here, that is Christ Him. Self. Now the New King James adds in the Father and some other portion there. Uh, I think it's it's an older, it's uh, later manuscripts. I think the context is very clear. It's Christ. I think the earlier manuscripts and the New King James will give you a note in there, and so will the NASB. I believe this is the best translation, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ Himself. He is in us and we can know him. We can have a true knowledge of him, a relational knowledge. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, how encouraging that is. How encouraging that is. Because as we'll see, he is good and he has everything we need. When we're settled in our full knowledge of Christ, who is the mystery of God, uh, we recognize we have everything we need for life and godliness. That Jesus is sufficient that he's sufficient. You see, he's going to say in a moment that in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He has everything you need. He has the riches of wisdom and knowledge all in Christ. You don't need to go to these bad guys for wisdom on how to follow Jesus. You go to Jesus through the Word of God on how to follow Jesus, right? All false teaching attacks the knowledge of God the truth that's revealed in the Word of God. It twists it, attacks it. Think of 2 Corinthians verse chapter 10. Paul says, verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in the pulling down, mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, they will come in with their worldly wisdom and it attacks the true knowledge of God, it attacks a true relationship with Jesus. God's mystery is Christ himself. Folks, we have a sufficient Savior, and when you mature, you realize that. And there's encouragement in that. You trust in him no matter what. You don't rely on man. You don't rely on other people. You don't fall apart. And yes, we, we, we go to the Lord, no doubt, but we trust in Jesus. We believe in his promises. We have full assurance that what he has said is true and we apply it to our hearts. That's what maturity looks like in Christ. Yes, we still fail, but we should be failing less. We should be becoming more and more like Jesus. And we confess our sins and we do fail. But it's trust in Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ. He'll say later on in verse 8, As you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. It's by total faith. And there is a great confidence and wealth, a wealth of confidence when you trust alone in what God has said and the God who has said it. And notice in our passage, and I said we'll get to this more so next time, but he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Christ. It's all in him. It's all in Christ. Don't look for it in other places. You want a human being to come tell you what to do. Well, if they don't share the word of God, don't listen to them. It's God through his word that reveals uh, the wisdom and knowledge that comes from Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, it's hidden to the world, but not to us. Those things that we have have been freely revealed to us by the Spirit. Those things which I have not seen or ear has not heard, but have been revealed to us. We see that in 1 Corinthians 2. It's God's word. Everything we need is in Christ. And when you're mature and when you grow, you start to realize that. And there's a great wealth in that. There's a great joy in that. There's a great wealth. You are a wealthy believer if you trust in Christ. You are wealthy in that sense. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2. We read it earlier, but I want to read it again. It's the heart attitude towards the Word of God. It's the heart attitude. It's right in the beginning of Proverbs, by the way, Proverbs chapter 2. The writer says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, receive it. Treasure it. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, you value God's wisdom from his word. You seek it that way. He says here, you, then you will discern the fear of the Lord. You'll, you'll get it. You'll be able to, to understand it and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. The world has its wisdom, and the, the false church packages it as God's wisdom. It's not God's wisdom at all. God's wisdom is in the Word of God. So with these grand truths in mind what does maturity in christ look like being complete in him look like one aspect of maturity is being encouraged 
and with that, a settled understanding in the and belief in the truth of God and the God of the truth. Believing it. Believing what he said and believing who he is. With that, practically speaking, seeing everything coming from Christ and nothing from self or man. Christ is fully sufficient. He is everything. He provides everything. And one aspect of maturity is the full assurance, the complete confidence that Christ and his word are sufficient for everything. You know, he will say that we've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, but... But if we believe it, there's a great riches in that. There's great treasure in believing the truth. There's great treasure in having a settled confidence in the truth. We have his precious and magnificent promises. We have them. If we are mature, we're going to have a trust and faith in Christ based on a full knowledge from his word that we believe completely. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, I share this. The Apostle Paul says, And such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Notice that's through Christ. Not that we are adequate to consider anything that's coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Complete confidence. Our adequacy is from God. He has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. If you trust him in your inadequacy, he will be adequate and enable you to do what he's called you to do. And a full assurance of that is faith, by the way. It's faith. Makes sense that being mature would be trusting him completely, wouldn't it? Sure does, doesn't it? So clear, so clear. But the bad guys want to come along and give you the world's wisdom packaged up in persuasive arguments. I want to take you captive, want to kidnap you. We'll see that as the passage moves on in chapter 2. They're going to come along in your weakness and your failures. Satan will come along through them, try to delude you into trusting in man's ways and how you follow Jesus, rather than Christ himself being built up through the Word of God. Again, the church these days, a human flesh-driven message for people's felt needs, and an unjudgmental Jesus coming to fill those needs to replace the unadulterated preaching of the Word of God and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ alone. Totally sufficient. You've got to trust in Jesus. He is sufficient. And brothers and sisters, we need to point each other to the Lord Jesus. Encourage one another in that. And you'll be encouraged. Lots of people talk about Jesus and his word, but few proclaim him faithfully from his word that we would be encouraged and confident in his word and our relationship with Christ. I read this earlier, but I'll read it again. Colossians 2, verse 8. And actually, no, this is a different verse, but let me read this. Colossians 2, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to a tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, and then notice what it says, rather than according to Christ. We just heard all that, right? Christ. Christ. So what does true ministry look like? Authentic ministry? Authentic ministry involves struggle on behalf of the body of Christ for the purpose of presenting believers complete. 
And this involves an encouragement and a treasured confidence in the Word and the God of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you being encouraged? When you come to a message, you hear the Word of God, if sin's not in the way, you should be encouraged. You should be built up. You should have a greater confidence in the truth of God. And Paul struggled for that. He struggled for that. Brothers and sisters, the Word is incredibly valuable. And we need to recognize the value of a certainty of understanding in the context of a full knowledge of Christ Jesus. Are you enjoying the great riches of the wealth of a complete certainty? I pray you are. I pray you will. I pray as things come upon you that the word is working in your heart and you just believe the truth. You're certain of it. And you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in him. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. It really is. Just to take him at his word. Take him at his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is your will for us to be built up, to be complete in Christ, and you use your word. Uh, Christ proclaimed to do it. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, that your word would do so, and that we would be would have that treasure, those riches of a certainty of understanding in the context of a true relationship with your son Jesus Christ in us. Father, I pray for any believer here who's struggling, Lord God, uh, for things that you have clearly said in your word. You've given us everything we need. I pray they would believe your truth confidently and experience the wealth of that confidence in the context of trusting in your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.